Hi, it's Elise Lunen, host of Pulling the Thread. Today's guest is the wonderful Temple Grandin, one of the world's most prominent and thoughtful speakers about autism and the author of Visual Thinking, The Hidden Gifts of People Who Think in Pictures, Patterns, and Abstractions. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hi, it's Elise Lunen, host of Pulling the Thread. I'm an author, podcast host, and parent who built a long career in media. I grew up in a state of perpetual curiosity, investigating the world and asking a lot of questions. In this show, I chat with culture-defining leaders, thinkers, and experts about this rare moment that we find ourselves in and how to think about our own lives and experiences within a larger social and spiritual construct. The type of thinking where you can figure out how mechanical things work, it's a different kind of intelligence. And, and I think it's hard for verbal thinkers to understand and they kind of, well, looked at the shop kids as the dumb kids. Now, fortunately, some states are starting to put it back in. So now we're having more and more infrastructure things falling apart like this latest disaster with the waterworks uh, breaking. You see a visual thinker can see how it works and how to fix it. And you keep deferring maintenance. I mean, we got wires falling off of electric towers in California and starting fires because they deferred maintenance. But we need all of the different kinds of thinkers. And the first step is realizing that they exist and they need to work together as teams. So says Dr. Temple Grandin, a New York Times bestselling author, celebrated animal welfare advocate, and one of the world's most prominent speakers on autism. Temple first came into the public consciousness with her memoir, Thinking in Pictures, My Life with Autism, which provided her unique inside narrative and revolutionized how the world understood autistic individuals. Her latest book, Visual Thinking, The Hidden Gifts of People Who Think in Pictures, Patterns, and Abstractions, works to expand our awareness of the different ways our brains are wired even further as she draws upon cutting-edge research to demystify the brains of visual thinkers. Our world is geared for verbal thinkers, she tells us, with rigid academic and social expectations sidelining visual thinkers at school and in the workplace, to the detriment of productivity and innovation everywhere. In our conversation, Temple takes us through the three different types of thinkers and argues that changing our approach to educating, parenting, and employing visual thinkers has great potential to encourage rather than stifle their singular gifts and unique contributions. As the number of children diagnosed with autism continues to rise nationally, her call to foster differently abled brains is more important than ever. As she so eloquently says, we need all kinds of minds to solve today's most difficult problems. Okay, let's get to our conversation. Well, 
I want to start by saying that I am definitely a verbal thinker and I'm married to a visual thinker. So throughout the book, I was reading to him and affirming him. You're a spouse. What, what kind of work does he do? Well, he went to the Rhode Island School of Design for Architecture mm-hmm. and he does primarily interior planning and installing these shelving systems and he makes music and I've always found his mind fascinating and you explained it perfectly we see the world in almost diametrically opposite ways where I miss everything visual and his ability to see things and describe them and find what's special about them blows my mind I just I miss everything Well, this is a really important thing that you just brought up, because the first thing you have to do is realize people think differently. Okay, now you found you married to somebody who thinks totally differently. And it was a shock to me when I first discovered that other people were not visual thinkers. It's a real shock. I thought everybody thought in pictures. And then you can start exploring how the thinking is different and how they bring different approaches to problem solving. It's stunning. And it was it was affirming to read your book because I love my husband's mind. He can fix anything. I mean, he lit- everything that you were articulating throughout the book is was describing him. He can fix things. He understands how they work. He intuitively can just understand things that I where I have a lot of partially learned helplessness. Like I'm not as technically backwards as I might pretend to be at this stage of my marriage, but I, I don't think that way at all. I have no concept of a mechanical object, but I did very well in school, as you said, and I am excellent at algebra. I loved that algebra oh, I hated was it. a thing. <laughs> hated it. I, algebra doesn't even make any sense to me at all. The other thing I'm finding really interesting is that my kind of mind and your husband's kind of mind, the, the visual thinking, art and mechanics seem to go together. Mm. I mean, that sounds kind of weird, but in the mechanics, they can see how things work. And in my work with the uh, meat industry, I designed equipment and then people build it for me. And some of these people, they had their own welding shops they were designers, and I'm going to guess that about 20% of them were either autistic, dyslexic, or ADHD, mm-hmm. and they owned their own businesses. They had multiple patents, and one of the problems they've got today is they're not getting replaced. The algebra right. requirements are screening them out. Yeah, that was fascinating, and al- it's algebra specifically because the mind, there's nothing to visualize, right? There's nothing so, to visualize, and what yeah. should be done is let them go on to geometry and trick. Right. And which I hate. I never even got I never even got a chance to take <laughs> geometry because they kept pounding away on algebra. It makes no sense to me. Interesting. Well, there's fields I would not be in. I tried programming a computer. Bill Gates and I had access to the exact same computer. Wow. And he could program it and I couldn't. I tried. <laughs> you know, so there's two things here. You have the access. We both had access to the same machine. And he took off with it and I could log in and that was about it. And is that because, so within this, within the world you were describing, there's the verbal thinkers like me, visual thinkers like you and my husband, and then the object thinkers who are more well, systems. Minute, there, there, there's three kinds. Okay. Let's use the correct scientific names. Okay, please. I must call an object 
visualizer. Okay. And I think in very specific pictures. And the kinds of things that my mind is good at are art, mechanics, animals, and photography. Then you have the visual spatial pattern thinker, thinking in patterns. They're mathematicians, musicians, good at computer programming, chemistry. They think in patterns. And then of course you have the verbal thinker who thinks in words. And then there are some mixtures of the different kinds of thinking. And in my book on visual thinking, I explain the different types and the scientific research behind them. And one of my big concerns today is my kind of mind is getting screened out. I spent 25 years in heavy construction, supervising the building of facilities I designed, worked with all kinds of people that were visual thinkers, some on the autism spectrum. These kids are playing video games in the basement today instead of fixing things in factories. We've got a huge loss of skills. We yeah. made two very bad mistakes 20 to 25 years ago. And the first mistake was taking out all the hands-on classes because I worked with people that have multiple patents, own their own business, and what saved them was a single welding class. Right. You know, if they hadn't been exposed to the welding class, they wouldn't have opened up a metal working shop. Another big mistake made in the food industry, and I know the most about the meat industry, was shutting down in-house engineering departments and in-house large shops. I've got clients right now I wanted this one client just to build a very simple little hydraulic thing. They have no in-house capability anymore hmm. because in the, in the short run, it was cheaper to farm all this work out. And that's why so much stuff's getting imported from Holland. Went to a poultry plant in 2019 before COVID shut everything down. I was shocked to find out that all the equipment in that plant came over here in a hundred shipping containers from Holland. And that's because they haven't taken out their skilled traits. There's two parts of engineering. There is the object visualizer. I call them the clever engineering department. Think packaging equipment. If you've ever seen packaging equipment, how clever it is. Then you have your degreed engineer, more mathematical. They'll design the refrigeration system for the plant to keep the food chilled. The boiler systems, power and water requirements, the parts that require the math. That we still know how to do. But what we don't know how to do anymore is the clever engineering department because we don't have new small shops forming. Those kids are playing video games in the basement. I'll tell you how to get them off that video games. Introduce them to mechanics. And they'll find <laughs> out that fixing cars a lot more interesting than video games. Yeah. Well, and as you, as you open the book, we have a culture that's highly attenuated to verbal thinking, right? Yeah. Like that's what's prized. That's what we test for. And, you know, throughout the book, you also talk about spectrums, which I want to talk about and, and nerve diversity along a spectrum. But this idea that people like me, it's built for people like me. And then you have sort of the programmers, right, who mostly drop out of school and invent massive billion dollar companies in their garages. But all of these other people, there's no priority around those other skills and ways to think. And but we need these skills. We've got water systems that are falling apart right now. Yep. And people that are my kind of thinkers are the ones that care about water equipment and will keep it running. Right. Because to understand how it works. You see yeah. now, 
I also want to talk about how visual thinkers and word thinkers can collaborate because Betsy Lerner, my co-author, she organized all my stuff. I would write the initial drafts and Betsy would do magic reorganizing. You see, that's a visual thinker like me and a verbal thinker working together in a really beautiful way. Right. Well, and you give lots of examples in the book of the three the the essential nature of having all three types of thinkers, that diversity of thought leading to far better outcomes and also within departments. And this might have been specifically when you were talking about neuro, neurodivergent traits and autistic people being incredibly good at far better, 30% better than a traditional thinker at certain skills, like attention to well, detail and seeing I'm patterns, sorry. right? I'm sorry I interrupt. One of the reasons I do this is my processing speed is slow and I have a hard time getting the timing right. But no worries. a visual thinker like me can see how something works. A more mathematically inclined engineer calculates risk. A visual thinker like me can see it. Like in the book, Visual Thinking, I talk about the Fukushima disaster. And I was shocked when I found out that they could have saved that plant if they'd simply put in watertight doors to protect mm. the electrically driven emergency cooling pump, which will not work underwater very well. And what I've learned is engineers calculate risk. I see, well, what's gonna happen if water floods the site? All I need to know about that reactor is if that electric motor on that pump doesn't run, I'm in a lot of trouble. Right. And it's very simple. It's sort of shocking how simple that is. But when people are, when these kids are being screened out, when there are no good options for them, when we've determined, we disparage vocational schools and trade training, right? Those things have, are significantly less available than they once were. We don't teach shop. And so also these kids are, I'm sure, feeling not seen or like they have no valuable skills to offer, right? Like they can't. Well, the thing is the type of thinking where you can figure out how mechanical things work, it's a different kind of intelligence. Yeah. And, and I think it's hard for verbal thinkers to understand. And they kind of, well, looked at the shop kids as the dumb kids. Now, fortunately, some states are starting to put it back in. So now we're having more and more infrastructure things falling apart, like this latest disaster with the waterworks uh, breaking. You see, a visual thinker can see how it works and how to fix it. And you keep deferring maintenance. I mean, we got wires falling off of electric towers in California and starting fires mm -hmm. because they deferred maintenance. But we need all of the different kinds of thinkers. And the first step is realizing that they exist and they need to work together as teams. And I know there's limited data on this, but you had some that there was one study of 750 kids, fourth, fifth, sixth graders, and one third were strongly visual spatial, one quarter were auditory sequential, which I guess would be verbal, and about 45% were a mix. So it's, well, it's a, lot significant. Of people, a lot of people are mixtures, but yeah. what you will not find, and the research is explained in the book, a super good object visualizer like me and a super good mathematician in the same person. <laughs> they tend yeah. to be opposite skills. The object visualizer sees photographic images and the more mathematical thinker sees patterns. 
And I think it's interesting how the engineering gets divided up in every single major meat company I've worked with. My yeah. kind of thing are never worked on boilers or refrigeration. We didn't understand that stuff. My kind of mind worked on mechanically clever, specialized equipment. Well, and it's, it makes so much sense. I mean, reading your book, it was like, of course, right? Like this is so obvious once stated, but it seems like it's not, it hasn't historically been obvious to us. Can you talk a little bit, you write a really fascinating chapter about savants and savantism and this idea that the way that our, and I, I recognize this probably isn't completely accurate, so please correct me, but the way that our brains work and within the spectrum of neurodiversity, you can have a preponderance, right? Like some people's brains, it's like all concentrated in one part. Is that accurate? Like we have overdeveloped parts of our brains, whereas some, like for me, the mechanical part is under oxygenated probably. Well, it's hard to just say, but the savants have, you know, kind of stream memory in something yeah. very, very limited. Now, most of the people I worked with, they wouldn't have been savants, but they were people that could just see a way to make a mechanical device. Mm-hmm. And I know a guy, he's in his late 60s now. He sells specialized equipment all over the world. And I have to be vague about what he makes because he's not publicly disclosed. He's got a bad stutter, terrible students to school, dyslexic, a lot of autistic traits, and took a single welding class started making a thing, selling it at little local county fair trade shows. Now has a great big, huge business, multiple patents. Mm. And the thing that worries me is what's happening to that kid today, getting shunted into special ed, addicted to video games. And they're not getting wonderful jobs in the video game industry. If they were getting fantastic video game industry jobs, I wouldn't be criticizing. But that's not what's happened. They're ending up on a disability check when they ought to be inventing mechanically clever equipment for different industries. Another thing we don't make is the -the state-of-the-art electronic chip-making machine for semiconductor chips. It's from Holland. And when you look at pictures of the machine with all the covers taken off, there's plenty of mechanical stuff in there for my kind of mind to work on. And I've gotten on inside videos of chip factories. I got to watch the confidential video It shows the whole inside of the factory. I'll tell you right now, there's plenty of equipment in there, lots of conveyors and things for my kind of mind to work on. We need my kind of mind to make these factories work. Wondering what to give your mom or wife or daughter or friend or godmother for Mother's Day? From someone who cares a lot about her bed and sleep, may I recommend something from Cozy Earth? In fact, becoming a mom and suffering through its required sleep deprivation is where my obsession with sleep started, so it's one of those gifts that might really bring things full circle. After all, women in particular are really impacted by sleep deprivation, which has massive implications for our health. Between the hypervigilance of motherhood and the hot flashes of perimenopause and menopause, we get a raw sleep deal. So let me tell you about giving women you love their best night's sleep ever. Let me tell you about Cozy Earth. Their sheets are made from viscose from bamboo, and they are indescribably soft. So soft, like a bed hug like no other. Now, I'm not the only mega Cozy Earth fan. Every single year since 2018, Cozy Earth products have been named as one of Oprah's favorite things. 
Oprah picked their best-selling bamboo sheet set because they're temperature-regulating and incredibly soft, and she picked their joggers and their socks and their pajamas. Meanwhile, Cozy Earth doesn't just make sheets, they also make pillows, blankets, and more. Cozy Earth makes their products by sourcing responsibly. They use the best suppliers with an eye toward quality, responsible production, cutting-edge technology, and premium materials. They're also incredibly durable. They get better with every wear, and they have an enhanced weave that is guaranteed not to pill even after washing and drying. All Cozy Earth products can be returned or exchanged within 100 days and include an additional 10-year warranty against defects. This Mother's Day, treat mom to the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize her self-care and sleep health. She deserves it. Don't forget to use my promo code THREAD at checkout for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. After placing your order, select Podcast in the survey and select My Show in the drop-down menu that follows so they know that we sent you. Just thinking about this culture of fixing things, which we no longer have, right? We live in a highly disposable culture of just like toss it and buy a new one. We no longer repair very few things. I mean, you would repair obviously your dishwasher or your washing machine, but it's this whole idea of building things that are durable and good and that we can then fix is well, gone. I have one example I had is I had a computer monitor go bad with the Samsung computer monitor and it started to flicker. The power supply was failing. I looked it up online. I knew exactly how to fix it. And then a big house cleaning frenzy got thrown out, but I would have known how to fix that monitor. If I had to fix that monitor, I could have put a new power supply in it, even if I had to put in an external power supply for it with a little plastic box so it would be electrically safe. But right. there was nothing wrong with the screen. Power supply is an expensive part, and they put a cheap one in. Right. And yeah. it was failing. Yeah. No, but it feels like it environmentally essential that we start to sort of shift our thinking back also into this idea. And as you mentioned, all the failing infrastructure, bridges, et cetera. Like we need those, we need people who understand how to mechanically fix those parts well, of society water, that hold things the, together. Well, the water issues, electric supply, grid issues. The thing that's interesting in the engineering, I talked to a manager of a electric company in this region. They told me that their person who was an expert at wiring up substations had barely graduated from high school. They yeah. wire up a whole substation for you. Yeah. You see, there's the mechanical side and then there's the, you know, then the mathematics of balancing the power grid. But what drives me crazy when they had those power failures in Texas, they talked about such vague nonsense. You see, my approach would be, okay, you had like I don't know, eight or nine power plants on that grid, whatever number there was. Well, I want to know what froze in each one of them. Mm -hmm. And then I can list them in order of expense and difficulty of fixing. I think a frozen turbine hull is going to be easier to fix than the gas well heads that froze. Those are going to be a mess to fix because I actually had a chance to talk to a person who built gas wells. The guy in the pickup who keeps the things running. But let's talk about what froze in each plant and how to fix it. Not a bunch of vague nonsense. Or you, t I, I feel like you mentioned the Flint water crisis. You obviously talked about the Boeing Max, but 
even in Flint, I think you, it was a, maybe a passing moment, but you mentioned like the right mechanical engineer would have understood exactly well, what was the happening other thing in the interior Jackson, of the pipes. The Jackson mess right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the water system uh, falling apart, 100 year old stuff in there, it's not being maintained. See, verbal thinkers tend to overgeneralize. Verbal thinking is very top down, a big policy about something. But how do you actually implement it? Visual thinkers are bottom up. I form concepts by taking specific examples and putting them into categories. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go back to the power plants in Texas. Well, I'm going to rank them maybe one, two, three different categories on expensiveness and difficulty to make them freezer proof. That would be my approach to it. And I don't care who owns them. I would just put it out there. Okay, this one's easy to fix. This one's going to be like darn near impossible effects. And this is why. And let me loosen that place for three hours. And I get down in the shop and they'll tell me everything. As long as there's no suits around. So they don't <laughs> have to worry about getting fired. And they can show yeah. me exactly what broke in it. And that would be the logical way. And you know, let's start fixing the ones that would be easy to fix. Making them freeze proof. I can't believe some of the stuff that froze. You froze a coal-fired power plant? We have a coal-fired power plant here. It's never frozen. Maybe I'd go over and look at how the coal feed mechanism works, why it doesn't freeze. You see, my, my first inclination is, would be to go out in the field and look, and I don't want to talk to the suits. I want to talk to the guys in the shop. They'll tell me everything, as long as I protect them from getting fired. Well, let's talk about what sort of – I know that this book is not about – interpersonal relationships within governments and corporations, but you talk about also just being with the people in the shop and the general mistrust among sort of different types of workers, this lack of respect, I guess, for people's thinking processes. Well, first of all, you see, every tech startup needs eventually to hire a suit, which is kind of a derogatory term for a verbal thinker, because they need a, a, a verbal thinker to organize things. You see, the thing about my kind of mind, we're not that well organized. And so the company gets bigger, they got to hire people to organize stuff, you know, make sure a payroll gets paid, taxes get paid, and just run and run the business. But what's happening now is, you see, verbal thinkers overly ab abstract things. Okay, we're going to have some big policy, but how do you actually implement it? How do you actually do it? See, my mind's bottom up. I use specific examples of, okay, stuff that works, stuff that doesn't work. Now, the problem with bottom-up thinking, it takes a ton of data to make it work. Mm. But there was a kind of a tendency to say, well, everybody has to go to college. Right. Well, what I have found on working on jobs is that the degreed engineer, oh, yeah, calculate all the mathematical stuff, but how do you actually build it? You see, you need both kinds of minds, the degreed engineer and the and the visual thinker, because I right. need the mathematics to make sure the plant roof doesn't fall in. No, it feels like a baton toss, like this, or, you know, having worked in corporate America, probably with primarily verbal thinkers, but even then, it can sometimes feel like a bunch of kids playing soccer, you know, everyone wants to be in this position scoring goals, even if they might be better in a different part of the field. I think in general, and this is, again, a generalization, our education system isn't, we, we pride people on becoming generalists, right? Like getting a wide liberal arts education, which is 
has its upsides and qualities as a verbal thinker. But we're not particularly attenuated to this idea of understanding how a child's brain works and then teaching to that, right? Well, we don't necessarily have the capacity, but it doesn't seem to be part of our philosophy either. I think part of a liberal arts education would be having some skilled trades. I mean, when I was in elementary yeah. school, I loved wood shop. I loved, I also loved sewing. And what I found that, you know, the only difference between sewing and making things out of steel is one material is rigid and the other is soft, but it's still making things and putting things together. And I think part of an education is also, you know, learning about some of these things. And I think the first step, as I said before, is we've got to realize that different kinds of thinking are different. And there are different kinds of intelligences to approaching problem solving. And just to keep things running like infrastructure, you're going to need my kind of mind to keep the water system operating, to prevent a mess like Fukushima. You know, we really do need all the different kinds of minds. And you mentioned, and throughout the book, sort of a, a variety of neurodivergent traits, ADHD, hyperactivity, autism, do these things typically go together? Why, like, why are they, or just, it's, a, it's across the board, these are the way, different ways that people's minds are impacted, or is there a correlation? Well, autism's a spectrum. I mean, Elon Musk has come out and said that he's on the spectrum. Einstein had no speech until age three. Steven Spielberg was dyslexic. Michelangelo dropped out of school at age 12. Where would these innovators be today? What would happen yeah. to Michelangelo today? Grubby little 12-year-old dropped out of school. Now, fortunately, he had exposure to great art. Every church was commissioning him. He also grew up using stone cutting tools. So this brings up a very important thing about careers. Students get interested in careers they get exposed to. I got exposed to cattle when I was a teenager. I wouldn't have been in the go in the cattle industry if I hadn't been exposed to it. It starts out with exposure and then mentoring. But I'm concerned that a lot of smart kids are just kind of going nowhere because nobody's working on developing their skills. As I said before, the first step is realizing that different kinds of thinking exist. And I'm worried about the algebra, draconian algebra requirements, screening a kid out of auto mechanics class. You don't need algebra that do auto mechanics. Right. And then for a veterinarian, you have to study calculus and algebra. And they'll say, well, you need algebra for drug dosing. Yeah, that's maybe 10 formulas you just memorize. Like I know how to size hydraulic and pneumatic cylinders. Yeah, I just memorized how to do that. Right. But I don't know any veterinarian, <laughs> veterinarian that uses calculus in a veterinary practice. Right. It's pretty interesting. No, and, and you think about these kids, and I thought this was a, a, a service in the book too, talking about sort of the socioeconomics of this, but that there are, in a lot of these trades, what is it, apprentice, apprenticeship.gov, like where you can actually not only get a job, but be paid as an intern to be developed and trained. But people don't really know that that exists, right? Well, I think we need to be doing more of these things. Like when they were building our buildings on campus, our new animal science building, remodel, our new chemistry building, our new biology building, I visited with the construction managers on those projects. And there was a huge shortage of electricians in Colorado, plumbers. 
You know, these are jobs that are not going to go away. They're not going to get replaced by computers. You know, people will say, and I think some verbal thinkers make this mistake, everything's going to be run by computers. But what they forget is it's mechanical devices controlled by computers. Let's take something like 3D printing. That's a mechanical device controlled by a computer. And I had an interesting conversation with Betsy about this. And she kind of didn't understand that until she got looking all at YouTube videos of 3D printers in operation, different types of them. Then she understood a mechanical device controlled by a computer. And the best mechanical devices are gonna be made by my kind of mind. So I have my kind of mind to make the mechanics of the 3D printer and the mathematicians do the programming. See, we're gonna need both kinds of minds. You're gonna need my kind of mind just to keep them 3D printers operating. You know, the little toy ones, they're very fiddly little devices that you have to be one of the companies that makes them said patience required. Caution, you need to have patience Mm -hmm. because it is kind of a tricky little device. Yeah. But that's an example of needing the different kinds of minds. I woke up at 2 a.m. last night drenched in sweat, throwing bedding off of me. Every pet was also on top of me, which probably didn't help. Many nights, I have the opposite problem, where I'm hunting in the hall closet for extra blankets in the wee hours because I'm freezing. In part, this is because my husband and I have wildly different sleep temperature preferences, and I'm cold because he's left all the sliding doors in our house wide open. But there's actually a solution I've come to learn. And I'm all about a sleep solution because we know how important good, uninterrupted sleep is for every facet of health. Have you heard about Chili Pad by Sleep Me? It's a bed cooling system designed to revolutionize the way you sleep naturally. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. You can also choose a different setting than your partner, so you each get what you need. What I want? A cool mattress with piles of blankets on top. ChiliPad believes sleeping at the optimal temperature helps people naturally reach their highest potential physically and mentally. Visit www.sleep.me thread to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code THREAD. This offer is available exclusively for Pulling the Thread listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.me slash thread because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. I can't remember who, who this quote was, but you had a beautiful quote about sort of our focus on biodiversity. We're starting to understand the importance of biodiversity, right? Maybe a little too late, but that neurodiversity might be as essential to our survival. What you've got with autism, and is it milder forms? You've got Elon Musk, you've got Einstein. And then you get people that are very severe, nonverbal, no speech, though some of them can learn to type, also maybe can't dress themselves. You put the same name, the same verbal name, 
on Elon Musk or Einstein that is put on someone who can't dress themselves. To me, that doesn't make very much sense. So there's a tendency to overgeneralize. And I see a lot of parents get locked into the label and they don't think their kid can do anything. I'm seeing too many kids where, oh, they're doing well in school, but they've never gone shopping by themselves. They don't have a bank account. They're not learning just basic skills, just some basic what I call business social, how to greet people, just basic things like that and, and not going anywhere because then they don't have a shop class to take. But I know three people I work with, one that's definitely autistic and uh, one that's definitely not autistic, single welding class was the start of their business. Now, welding isn't for everybody, but if you don't get exposed to things, you don't know what you might like or what you might be good at. This is why we need to be exposing kids with all the skilled trades things, because then they can, if they have a talent for that, we need this person that can fix anything. And so much of it is, you know, I was just in Montana, I'm from Montana, and I was riding horses, and I was with this wrangler, this young kid, it was just the two of us, and he was telling me, you know, how, how much he struggled in school and hated school. This is before I read your book, but he was yeah. articulating sort of his dismay. And, and yeah, this kid is an incredibly hard worker. He's going to farrier school so he can shoe horses, which is in dire need. But he also is so intelligent about animals, which won't surprise you. Like he has a completely different mind. He's an exquisite horse person. And yet he felt left behind and rejected. You know, he feels less than. Oh, this is, this is the problem. The visual thinkers are good at animals, art, mechanics, and photography. I've talked to lots of photographers that I've worked with that are dyslexic. I talked to one right now. He's done major, major nature documentaries, and he's a little bit concerned right now about his drone pilot's test. You know, there's a little bit of math in that. I think I could handle that. It's uh, pretty much uh, memorization. But these are people that are needed. And being a visual thinker helped me with my work with animals. Because let's look at animals. Animals are not verbal thinkers. Animals are sensory-based. They're sensory-based world of smell, sight, sound. I just read an interesting brand new paper that a dog's olfactory system is directly connected to the visual cortex. And I'm wow. going, wow, this dog must get three-dimensional smell images of things. Mm. I was trying to think about what that would be like. And I presented that research at a, at a veterinary conference, a sensory-based world. So when I started my work with cattle, the first thing I did is I looked at what the cattle were seeing. And the cattle did not want to walk through the chute to get vaccinated because there was a coat on the fence, a paper cup on the ground, a shiny reflection on a vehicle, a string hanging down, little things we tend not to notice. And people thought I was kind of crazy looking at this stuff. But at the time that I started doing this, I didn't know that other people were verbal thinkers. I didn't know that. I didn't learn that verbal thinkers existed until I was in my 30s. And you get back to the old thing like the artists hate the accountants kind of stuff. I think some of that's different kinds of thinking. Yeah. And to resolve that problem, they need to realize different kinds of thinking exist. And we need, really do need all the different kinds of minds. 
Yeah. I mean, it's interesting time to be alive always, but particularly right now. But we think about the gender binary and we think about a lot of these systems moving beyond a lot of this, these black and white systems. And you think brains, you know, in a way too, like the way that we think or process the world sits on a spectrum, right? Elon Musk. Well, Elon me. Musk is very much, Elon Musk really yeah. likes his things to look good. You look <laughs> at his launch gantry tower, the jet bridge thing that you walk through to get in the space capsule looks like it's out of 2001 a Space Odyssey, where the one that NASA uses looks like construction scaffolding. He likes stuff to look cool. Yeah. I can relate to that. And he's in the more of the visual, like the, the design part of it, right? The more in your world. Yeah, he's more in the visual. But then, of course, you're going to need the mathematical people to, to do all the orbital mechanics. Like, right. for example, Catherine Johnson, a mathematical mind. And for one thing that was done right with Catherine Johnson when she was a little girl is her ability in math was moved ahead. You know, these kinds of thinking will often show up in kids around seven or eight years old. So you have a pattern mm. thinker like Catherine, well, they moved her ahead in math. You see, so here's pure math. Okay, orbital re-entry. If you come in too steep, you burn up. If you come in too shallow, you go out to outer space and you die when your air runs out. You've mm. got to come in at just the right angle. That's and math. she figured it out. She calculated that by hand. Originally, it was all done by hand originally for the first flights. So what's your advice to parents? You know, I think about my son, for example, and we were having this conversation based on your book because he can't how, spell. How, how old is your son? So I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. And, and a six-year-old. Okay. Yeah. And my nine-year-old has a fascinating mind, loves facts. He's, confu- he's a little bit confusing to me. He loves facts. He can't spell, probably has ADHD or some version of it. But just like he, his mind, he blows my mind all the time. But he mechanically, he struggles with his hands and I don't know. But how do I help? How do you, what's your best advice for kids? I think what's really important is exposing kids to lots of different things. My yeah. art ability showed up when I was about seven or eight years old and mother always encouraged it. And I would just draw the same horse head over and over and over again. And she encouraged me to draw more things. Now there's one of my drawings right there. Wow. When you're weird. When you're weird, what I learned to do is I learned to sell my work. So my Mm. art ability was always encouraged. Okay, let's say the child's really good at playing with Legos. I'm seeing too many kids growing up and they never get a chance to try tools. I was using pliers, screwdriver, and a hammer in second grade. And I was taught that these were grown up things and had to be used in a responsible manner. And there's kids growing up today where they're 16 years old and they're making fabulous things out of Legos and nobody thought to introduce tools. That's a gigantic mistake. You've got to expose kids to a lot of different things. Catherine Johnson, fortunately, got moved ahead in math because if she'd just been made to do baby math, she would have gotten in a behavior problem. Word thinkers, maybe maybe reading more advanced books. I don't believe in this age-appropriate books. Okay, high reading level. On, you know, they can read the Harry Potter book in second grade if they can read it. In fact, I think, you know, books like that have been really good for reading because now you've got a child going to a bookstore that's having the midnight opening and the children all dressed up in costumes and they want to read this giant big fat book that motivates reading. And I did not read until third grade. 
Mother taught me with phonics. She homeschooled me in that. And let's start with a book that's worth reading that the kid might be interested in. And some yeah. kids learn a whole word and other kids learn with phonics. I was a phonics learner. She did it very simple. I can't believe some of the complicated nonsense I've got now for teaching phonics. I already knew my ABC song. That's already got half the sounds. And then she just had me memorize the sounds and she'd read a page of an interesting book and then stop in a really, really juicy place and have me sound out a few words. And gradually I read more and more and she read less and less. It was all done out loud reading. Did she obviously, you know, she was a teacher, right? But she must have, did she intuitively understand your mind and how to help you? Or was it just trial and well, error? Mother, mother's a visual thinker herself, so. Okay. And it wasn't until she got into late adulthood that she realized that different kinds of minds existed. When she started reading some of my stuff, you know, that's, I do a lot of talks of big corporations. And I tell managers that the first thing you've got to do is realize that different kinds of thinking exist and they bring different kinds of skills into projects. And do you feel, you know, one of the parts of corporate culture is as you suits, right? Or this idea of management and which can be either incredible fuel, right? If you have someone who's just clearing obstacles for you and helping you get what you need so you can do your best work, or it can be a major impediment. Have you seen examples of disparate teams, different types of thinking done well, where there are lessons for all of us in terms of respecting and supporting each other? I think something that got done well in a lot of the meat processing plants I worked in is the mathematicians did the boilers and the refrigeration. And my kind of mind did all the mechanically complicated, clever equipment that you had in the plant. That worked well. Now, here's a big mess. I, verbal thinker in sales, boy, he could talk, in charge of remodeling plant. And he wouldn't listen to anybody. And he built this remodeled plant without enough wastewater treatment and the city shut it down. It was like a million, million dollar mess. He didn't listen to the people in the shop that told him it wasn't going to work. That was a complete fiasco. And that was like 20 some years ago, more than 20 years ago. No, he should have listened to them, to the people in the shop that were told why it wouldn't work. You know, I used to sit in the job trailer and we talk about stupid suits. Now I'm doing less of that now because I'm real. I, I didn't know at that time, 20 <laughs> years ago, I'm sitting in the job trailer talking about stupid the suits are is that they, they think differently. See, it's sort of like this. A verbal thinker like wants the technology to work. Okay, you want the phone to work. Take pictures, text, whatever you want to do with it. Where a lot of techie people get really into like what beautiful code they wrote or the technology is just so cool. Well, you need to have some of, yes, I want the phone to work. The first step, as I said before, is we have to realize different kinds of thinking exist. And the managers better listen to some of the guys in the shop when they tell them about stuff that's going to break, let's say, for example, in a water system. Do you think that verbal thinkers, that we can be grandiose or arrogant just because the world has been built for us in you know, prioritizing our type of mind? And so we think that we know more than we do about stuff that's beyond our capacity. Do you think what's happened, just that sort of level of stereotyping? Well... The thing that's happened now is the skill loss thing. We're shorts of electricians and plumbers and people to fix industrial equipment. 
Now, what I've been seeing right now, because since COVID, I'm getting back out in the plants. If you go into the middle of Nebraska, you still have a lot of kids coming off the farms. And one particular plant fought to keep their engineering shop and not have it shut down. But then I get out away from that area where you have the farm kids coming in, get out maybe California. I got a plant out there. They can't build anything. They have no in-house capability to build anything. They've lost it all. And their shop doesn't have enough equipment in it because I looked at their shop. And they were probably wondering why I want to look at their shop. I want to see if they even had the equipment for doing my little project. They were farming all the workout. And then there's a point where you really get in trouble doing that. When we have to import a poultry processing plant equipment from Holland, that's because in Holland, they don't stick their nose up at skilled trades. And the state-of-the-art electronic chip making machine is from Holland. And when you take the covers off that thing, it's got lots of complicated mechanical equipment that my kind of mind needs to work on. I'm exceedingly careful about what I buy, not only because I live in a 1,500-square-foot house with children who sure have an awful lot of stuff, but also because I try to be conscious about everything I use. In short, I want to use everything I buy. In addition, thanks to a decade in the wellness industry, I am very keyed into product claims and product content. This is why I like Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin, which is clinically backed with high-quality, traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. I also like their Symbiotic Plus 2, which is a probiotic that's simple and effective. Ritual makes the most elegant multivitamin around. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus has everything you need, specifically nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Their unique beetle oil is so slick it's actually patented, and their capsule has a delayed release design, which is brilliant and essential, to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. And Ritual studies their vitamins, which is not the standard in the industry. Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy. The results, it increased vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. As most of us are getting far less sun right now, vitamin D supplementation is essential. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is one of the few women's multis that's USP verified, meaning what's on the label is what's in the formula. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark. It's also soy-free, gluten-free, vegan-friendly, and formulated without GMOs. Did I also mention that Ritual is a certified B Corp and female-founded? Nothing makes me happier than these two facts. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash thread. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash thread for 25% off. In terms of labeling and spectrums and, and sort of the conversation in the book about autism and how do you as because we are living in a world where there it feels like labels are as much as we're trying to move away from language and we recognize our language is inadequate we're trying to put as many labels on people as possible how do you do you think labels are just generally always 
dangerous? Well, the reason why, you see, one of the problems you've got to get any kind of special ed service, you have to have a label. Right. You know, and then insurance company won't pay for it. So you have that reasons for labels. But I'm seeing too many parents, their kids labeled autistic or labeled something else, and they're getting locked into the label. Mm-hmm. And they can't imagine that their kid can even do anything. And I've visited programs where they get autistic kids, like even nonverbal ones, out on boats, get them on surfboards, get them out into nature. And you, it might be a three-day trip for the family. And one of the most important things that that kind of program can do is prove to the parents their kid can do something. Like he actually got on a surfboard and liked it, or got in a boat and liked it. There's too much of what Deborah Moore calls label locking. They get so locked into the label. But I worked with people that own metalworking shops. Now they're all retiring now. That definitely would be labeled autistic today or ADHD. And they had successful businesses, multiple patents. This is what makes me very frustrated as I go back and forth between the autism world and the world of industry. And this gets into the whole thing about identity. For me, identity is being a university professor, a scientist, a person who designs things. Might call that career first. Yeah, there's some social stuff. I know I see people having these social chit-chat conversations. They're having such a great time. They go by so fast I can't even follow them. But having interesting things to do, that gives my life a meaning. And getting into interesting careers. I've been out to Silicon Valley. I've been out to the major tech companies. Oh, half those programmers are on some degree on the spectrum. Right. Been there, seen them. And sometimes people who, who think differently, they do really good with their own businesses. Okay, now what can employers do? Work with people that are different. Let's say they're a programmer for a tech company. Vague instructions don't work. You need to say, now I want you to design some software that uses this specific platform to do some specific thing. And then let the programmer figure out how to do it. Or if you just said, we're not a team player. Now, one of the things I learned on working on teams is I work better if I have some particular part of the project that's mine. Okay, I will design up till this point of the factory in the process or on, on writing assignments. I'll say, well, okay, I will write all the guidelines on the animal handling. Other people can write some of the other guidelines where there's like a specific thing that I do. And here's the deadline. We want the references in this format. And then I go and do it. I've learned to sit in, in a committee meeting and say now, okay, what are the parameters for this job? You want me to take some labor out? We got to work, reduce workman's comp claims. What are the goals for this project? You seem to have so much self-knowledge, which is, I think, really interesting. Like, you really understand. I mean, obviously, this has been understanding the way your mind works has been critical to your success. But how, do, how, how does one cultivate that just deep and profound awareness of self? It's pretty amazing to witness. Well, the things where I got the most insight were first-person accounts of people with autism, writing their lived-in mm-hmm. experience, and brain research. High-up mm-hmm. brain research. Those were some of the things that gave me the most insight. And I always keep learning, because I didn't even realize that verbal thinking existed until I was in my 30s. And the way that I found out that it existed, I'll never forget when I went to a 
autism meeting and we got to talking about how people think. And if I ask somebody, think about your own home or your own car, most people can see that. But, when I, but this was the question where I was able to see the difference. When I ask you about something you don't own to out there in the environment, that's when I discovered my magic question, to get my first inkling in the different kinds of thinking. So if you say to me, think about a church steeple, I start naming them off. They are specific and I see them. Ask a visual thinker, they'll start saying, well, it's a church here and blah, blah, blah. And I'll just name them off like PowerPoint slides. I was shocked when I asked a speech therapist to think about a church steeple and all she got <laughs> was pointy thing, two lines like this with absolutely uh-huh. <laughs> no detail. And that was my first inkling when I was in my 30s that maybe she didn't think the same way I did. That was a shock. And then I started using this question over and over again. I'd say, think about a church steeple. How does it come into your mind? I'd always ask it the same way. And the more visual thinkers name them off. Then the verbal thinkers just see the pointy thing. And then there's people in the middle where they might see a fairly detailed New England steeple, but they don't tell me where the church is. Right. You know, that's kind of the mixture. And if I ask them to think about their dog, yeah, they're going to see their own dog because they're so familiar with that. Ask you something you don't own. I mean, even most pastors don't think about the the steeple on church. Whereas you have a filing cabinet of reference points in your mind. Well, now what's happened is now I'm seeing my PowerPoint slides that I dug up online. You see, then as you see more and more steeples, I can put them into New England type, cathedral type, warehouse churches that have no steeple. You see, I start putting them into categories. Yeah. That's how, how I learn concepts by putting specific examples into categories. Do you have a spiritual framework through which you see the world or do you feel like this, the designation of people's gifts is you sort of random or do you feel like we all are, there's some other guiding principle that determines what's needed well, at a certain time? Well, I got the Hubble Space Telescope vintage poster there in my curated background. And the picture <laughs> I love the best is the deep space field that mm. shows hundreds of galaxies. And now the web telescope is bringing in more beautiful pictures. And I was, this is what I got emotional. I cried when I read about how the deep space field was discovered. The Hubble was pointed at a dark part of space that contained nothing. And all the other scientists thought this was the stupidest waste of observing time, 10 days of valuable observing time to look at nothing right near the Big Dipper and they found a hundred galaxies. Mm. When I think about life's great questions, I'll look at the deep space field and I'll look at some of the new web telescope pictures and kind of leave it at that. It's pretty stunning. But I um, get emotional about this guy going against everybody else and looking at nothing and finding hundreds of galaxies. Mm, I know. It's pretty amazing, right? I get really emotional about you know, learning knowledge. I remember reading about a scientist that did a study of whale fossils, and he was over in Ukraine, and he got all of his work onto a single portable hard drive, one to save his work. You know, the little hard drive boxes, they're the size yeah. of a CD player. And he was trying to upload it to his, to his colleagues. 
his life's work on a portable hard drive. I can't mm. even look at a portable hard drive, look them up on Amazon now without crying. Thinking mm. about his whole life's work, this little fragile portable hard drive mm. that he was trying to take a train out of the country, save his life's work. That Did he I get save emotional it? about. Yeah. I don't know. It was an article in the Wall Street Journal and the article ended. Oh, Temple. That's the kind of stuff I get emotional. The most important thing to him was saving his knowledge. Yeah. I understand. And it was specialized knowledge on, I think it was a whale fossils. Mm. But that's the kind of stuff that I get emotional about, you know, you know, preserving knowledge, not losing knowledge. Yeah. And apparently, and if, I look, up, if I look up portable hard drives on Amazon right now, I can make myself cry. <laughs> and I'm starting to get upset right now talking about it. Mm. And I had Temple. to buy some of those for my students. <laughs> but that's but you, always you, going to be associated with saving knowledge. Well, and you t- write about your emotions, which I thought was so beautiful, where you talk about sort of as a person on the autism spectrum, that you're limited to the prime or primitive emotions, that you feel that's why you really understand animals you understand the sense of feeling like prey animals live in a sensory based world and i find i still have to keep talking to people about cattle handling about the same old things that that scare cattle you know it's things like shadows now i know that this won't show up on a podcast but i want to find this this shadow i do a lot of work with the slaughter plants and people ask me are cattle afraid of getting slaughtered i'll tell you what they're afraid of the spider monster this yeah, is that's a shadow scary shadow. Appeared in a cattle handling facility. And this particular place worked just fine in the morning. And then in the late afternoon, this weird shadow from the overhead structure went on the floor. And Angus cattle decided they were not going to walk over the spider monster. Mm, I don't blame them. And, <laughs> and it's just a shadow. And I find I still have to, you know, point out to people how to find these things. I said, watch the cows. They come up to shoot. They'll look right at the stuff they don't like. Another right. thing, it was a little LED light that was on the side of a building. The cattle didn't like that. And they got rid of that. And then they noticed little visual things. I'll notice, like, if an electronic sign has one pixel that's wrong, I'll notice it. Hmm. Like one time I went into the airport and as you walked in, there was a big TVs in a row that had the name of the airline on it. And one of them was scrambled. And I immediately noticed it. And then I talked to the person beside me. I said, did you see that that sign was scrambled? No, they didn't. <laughs> I saw at the instant I walked in that one of the monitors had a scrambled image on it. <laughs> that I would not have noticed either, Temple. No, I definitely noticed it. You can have like one or two pixels off on on an electronic sign and I'll notice it. It's amazing. Well, thank you for your time. I loved your book and it has given me so much to think about. And it, it's one of those light switch books where suddenly you're like, oh, of course. I never, I didn't know this, but now it seems unknowable. I mean, it seems so obvious, you know? Well, I might have to do a little book. I've got books. This is calling all minds, get your kids out building things. Just be just mm-hmm. right for your kids. Outdoor scientists, these are my children's books. 
They'll be just perfect for your kids. I'm going to get those. Yeah. Yeah. Outdoor scientists calling all minds because I would spend hours experimenting with a little bird kite when I was like seven years old to figure out how to yeah. get my bird kite to work. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is sounding familiar. My oldest, I mean, I think he should be a marine biologist. He's just fascinated with any water and any aquatic life. And it's funny because you, as a parent, you're sort of, there's cultural programming to sort of generalize your kids and not let them go too deep into something. But maybe that's exactly what we need to do is so let them do follow their bliss. Is broaden it. All right, mm-hmm. let's read books about marine biology. Maybe do yeah. some math involved with marine biology. Because when I started out with drawing, I would just draw the same horse head over and over again. My mother encouraged me to draw the whole horse, draw the stable. You know, right. take that interest and broaden it so it isn't quite so fixated. Okay, mm. what is some of the equipment that a marine biologist uses? All really fancy audio equipment that they use mm. to listen to whales and listen to marine animals. You could learn about some of the scientific instruments. You see, I'm just giving you an idea of how to broaden. You can read about Jacques Cousteau. I put him in one of my books. He wanted to be an, a pilot, but he got injured. And old-fashioned airplanes, you had to have strength to pull back on the yoke. And well, so he went underwater. He couldn't be a pilot. So he flew underwater. <laughs> I love that. That's great advice, which I'm going to take. Well, I very much agree with Temple that we need to make sure that technical schools have a place in our culture and that they are no longer considered, quote unquote, dumping grounds for low achieving kids. And as she writes, this fallacy is born of our prejudice that college is for everyone, that it's the only path to a high paying job and that working with your hands in a skilled trade is somehow less prestigious or valuable than careers that require academic degrees. So we need these people desperately to help us keep society intact and safe. We're having a crisis throughout our infrastructure, which I think we can all recognize. And as she comments throughout her book, we just don't make things anymore, things that we should absolutely make. She also elaborates more on the word-based thinking, which is the, the verbal thinkers who typically are better at algebra. And she writes that People who are primarily verbal thinkers tend to comprehend things in order, which is why they often do so well in school where learning is mostly structured sequentially. They are good at understanding general concepts and have a good sense of time, though not necessarily a good sense of direction. Verbal thinkers are the kids with perfectly organized binders and the adults whose computer desktops have neat rows of folders for every project. Verbal thinkers are good at explaining the steps they take to arrive at an answer or to make a decision. Verbal thinkers talk to themselves silently, also known as self-talk, to organize their world. Verbal thinkers easily dash off emails, make presentations. They talk early and often. By default, verbal people tend to be the ones who dominate conversations, are hyper-organized and social. Now, visual thinkers tend to be lay talkers who struggle with school and traditional teaching methods. Algebra is often their undoing because the concepts are too abstract with little or nothing concrete to visualize. Visual thinkers tend to be good at arithmetic that is directly related to practical tasks, such as building and putting things together. 
Visual thinkers like me easily grasp how mechanical devices work or enjoy figuring them out. We tend to be problem solvers and sometimes appear to be socially awkward. I think, and the point that she makes throughout is that in our culture, which is very much engineered toward verbal thinkers like me, we are missing huge troves of talent, people who haven't been historically recognized, but who we desperately need. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. You can find show notes and full transcripts of the episodes at the elisepodcast.com. Please sign up for my newsletter. I promise I won't spam you. Or follow me on Instagram at Elise Lunen to get updates on new episodes. I'd also like to give a huge thank you to my sponsors who make this show possible. Please support them the way they support this podcast. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio. If you enjoyed this episode, please listen, rate, review, and follow Pulling the Thread, available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts, i.e. wherever you're listening right now. I also want to thank you in advance for sharing any episodes with friends you think might like the show, because that is how podcasts grow. I want to give a shout out to Phil Svitek, Lauren LaGrasso, Serena Reagan, Mary-Kate McDonough, and the entire Cadence 13 team for producing these episodes, and to Valero Duvall for my key art. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you next week. High schoolers are busy, but no one's too busy to help fight cancer. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is looking for their next student visionaries of the year. Could that be your child? High schoolers who participate in the seven-week philanthropic leadership development program gain valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. Forming strong teams behind them, they fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor right in their local community. Most importantly, this campaign is an opportunity for high schoolers to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on the lives of blood cancer patients and their families. Sound like something your child might be interested in? You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at LLS dot org slash students. That's LLS dot org slash students.